This is Andrea. And Connie's here. And we've just been wondering about all things church or theology or discipleship or Jesus. In 20 minutes or less. This is Just just wondering. Wondering. Well, Connie, you're getting me excited. I don't know. Peter might have been my last pick. And I think discipleship goes deeper than that. That Jesus could sign. Really? Like, I just rose from the dead and like you're still on that. I thought we had moved past this by now. Today, Andrea and I are just wondering about the church and what it has to say about sexuality and gender identity. And maybe more importantly, why it doesn't speak to these issues. Come wonder with us. Connie, a little while ago in one of our previous podcasts, I think it was our Woman at the Well podcast, you and I had mentioned that issues of sexuality are things that we don't always talk about at the church. They're Mm -hmm. things that make us uncomfortable, that we don't know what to think about. And we had talked that time about maybe having a podcast that kind of broached the topic. Not that we can cover anything in depth in 20 minutes, but just kind of started a conversation that we often don't have in the church. I appreciate Mark Wingfield's title of his book, Why Churches Need to Talk About Sexuality. Um, Lessons Learned from Hard Conversations About Sex, Gender, Identity, and the Bible. Mm. And I appreciate the title because I think the church does need to talk about sexuality. Unfortunately, so many churches, whether they are pro or con, uh, jump in on a single uh, niche issue, almost, of sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. But that's only one aspect of... That's so far down the chart. Yes. I think that the church today needs to develop a sexual ethic. I think that we have certainly abandoned a a Puritan kind of ethic of gender and sexuality, which is good, I think, because I think that was not an altogether healthy (laughs) view. (laughs) But... In abandoning that, as we so often do, we deconstruct, but we don't reconstruct. Yeah. And then we come into our own 1960s and the so-called sexual revolution in the United States that coincided with birth control pills. Mm -hmm. And uh, it did radically change our culture and our society. And then each decade has brought its own new facet of conversation to gender and sexuality. And so the reason I would argue for the church to provide the framework for a sexual ethic is because if the church, whatever the church doesn't speak to, then it gives up its voice. And that leadership voice will always default to a position of the world that doesn't recognize Jesus as Lord. And then what we see are disciples of Jesus who are wandering after other voices to form and inform their lives in ways that are not necessarily the way Jesus would do it. I heard a young pastor once, her name is Chelsea Yarborough, and really I'm putting her name out here so that everybody can Google her and find out how amazing she is. But I heard her say once, we are always being formed. Mm. And if we are not intentional about what is forming us or who is forming us, then who knows what we'll be formed by. And you make a really great point that as disciples, as followers of Christ, our goal is to let the Spirit of Christ 
inform us, form who we are and how we think about these things. And I think it's a great point to say if the church isn't talking about it, where are people going to even find information that helps us be informed and therefore mm-hmm. formed? Mm-hmm. We need to be having these conversations. Yeah. Now, will you again read me the subtitle of Mark Wingfield's book? Lessons Learned from Hard Conversations About Sex, Gender, Identity, and the Bible. And I love that because when we think about sexuality, you said it at the very beginning, we usually limit it to one aspect. The hot topic in churches these days is sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. But sexuality is so much more broad than just that. Mm -hmm. It has to do with matters of sex, gender, orientation, identification, Mm -hmm. even going into systems of patriarchy and ideas like feminism and it's it's much, much broader than just this one facet of yes, it. Yes. So I recently, I picked up an article that Jeff Brumley had written July 12th. Global church must confront gender-based violence with honest view of scripture, BWA told. BWA stands for the Baptist World Alliance. And it was a, a commission, a conference on racial, gender, and economic justice. and And it was an effort to have a conversation about gender-based violence around the world Mm. against women. I'll quote from the article here. For Christians, one place to start is with the Bible, she, being Jenny Endrickin, said. It's time to recognize that how we interpret Scripture can be used to oppress and coerce women. It's time to drop the dogged adherence to individual Scriptures taken out of context and used as primary mandates for all time. And understanding the fall is God's preference for women to be secondary to men. Men alone have been considered fully human, while women are viewed as property to be owned, controlled, and abused. This view of patriarchy affects the attitudes and behavior toward women in the church, and that's the global church around the world. And then here was a rather startling statistic cited in this article from the World Health Organization that one in three women globally experience some form of gender violence. One third of the women in this world, some form of gender violence. And then she sort of concludes by being quoted as saying, each statistic is a person someone's daughter, someone's sister, someone's mother, wife, cousin, friend. These women are not just numbers. They are people with names and lives. You know, just that quote makes me think of a recent podcast that we did about biblical interpretation and how we look at scripture Mm -hmm. and how there are various ways to look at it. I I feel like I can already hear people coming back and saying, but the Bible says this. We're not arguing against scripture. We hold scripture as authoritative and you can't just ignore it or you can't just try to, you know, flip it around to make it say something it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And yet I think there are ways to interpret scripture that are more responsible and less responsible. Like she said in that article, taking individual verses out of context Mm -hmm. is a way that we've often interpreted scripture. And we've used those verses, those one or two verses here or there to build whole platforms or whole belief systems instead of looking at an overarching view mm-hmm. of how God views women, how Jesus treated women, mm-hmm. or not just women, 
even those who are, speaking of sexuality, those who are sexually different. Mm -hmm. We have eunuchs in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. We have mm -hmm. those in the story of Esther. We even have a eunuch in, this, in the book of Acts that mm -hmm. is talking to Philip and saying, what's to prohibit me from being baptized? And some people would say, well, the fact that you are sexually different, mm -hmm. that's what's going to stop you from being baptized. And Philip said, nothing. Let's go to that lake right mm -hmm. there and let's get this thing done. Yeah, let's go do it. Yeah. So there are issues of gender and sexuality all throughout our scripture. If we are just willing to start having some conversations about them and to start considering these things from maybe points of view that, that many of us have never considered before. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like it's important to talk about some definitions. We probably need to define some of these terms. Yeah, because there was a time that gender and sexuality were, at least in the common vernacular, were synonymous. And now they are not. And by the way, I'm no expert on this, Andrea, so you can help me out here on <laughs> definitions. But my understanding of gender is that it more refers to the social and cultural differences rather than biological differences. We talk about, for example, gender bias. We talk about gender norms. And by the way, we understand it now broader than just talking about males and females. So that's really broad definition of gender. Mm -hmm. Sexuality is our capacity for sexual feelings. And here's probably where the church has largely abdicated because there was a time where the sexual act was reserved for within the uh, matrimonial relationship for one purpose, to procreate. Right. To have children. Right. One man, one woman mm -hmm. within a matrimonial relationship for the purpose of procreation. Right. And if we're honest, I don't know anyone who holds that view this day and time. No. I mean, we, we have a great capacity for sexual interest and sexual attractions. As a science in that field, we understand the field much better. And then specifically, and this is what you and I have alluded to, one specific area has to do with sexual orientation mm -hmm. and a person's identity in relation to uh, gender or genders to which people are sexually attracted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And that's just one little place to stand and discuss. Right. But I see it so far down the chain. Why would we begin as the church to have a conversation there when we don't even know what our sexual ethic is? Right. We've right. not we've not ever discussed that. Since the time we deconstructed from the Puritans, we have not had one as a church in America. That's right. I also think when we look at the other systems that are a part of our everyday life, our society, but including our churches, when I think of systems like patriarchy, which I never understood growing up, you know, we always heard that feminists were these horrible people and you should never want to be one of them, <laughs> especially if you're a good Christian girl. Mm -hmm. And patriarchy was just the feminist way of saying that all men are bad. And I realized it's a little bit more nuanced than that. <laughs> patriarchy is not saying that all men are bad. Mm -hmm. Patriarchy is a system by which the world seems to think that men should have more power, more control, because men are automatically more worthy but these are systems that have been in place even in our churches and systems that 
because they're part of the world and because they're a part of society, we might not always recognize them when we see them in our churches. We do have a very, okay, I'm going to say this and I'm not sure how this is going to sound. So you push back if you need to, but it seems like our scripture, our Bible is very male dominated. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of male authors. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of male biblical characters. When we think about these heroes of the faith, we talk about Moses and David and King Solomon and all the prophets that we mentioned from the Old Testament. There's a lot of men happening in this story. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of that friend of mine who I talked about a few episodes ago who said he could never read The Hunger Games because it was told from a girl's perspective and he just couldn't relate to her. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, gosh, I'm glad not all of us think that because I wouldn't be able to read, you know, 95% of the scripture. Well, I don't disagree. Mm. that there are lots of leading male figures in Scripture. However, I would say that maybe there's not been an equal reading because most of your growing up, you've heard men talking about mm. the Bible from mm-hmm. the pulpit. And, right. and they talk about what looks like them mm-hmm. in some sense. Mm-hmm. Because for every male You just mentioned in all of those roles, we could both name females. Absolutely. You know, you talk about Moses, we could talk about Miriam. Mm -hmm. You talk about David, we could talk about Bathsheba and all sorts of other women involved in his Mm -hmm. story. So Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. Yeah. So they're there, Mm -hmm. but you're going to preach what you see. Right. (laughs) Right. You know, when you're talking about creating a new sexual ethic, Nadia Boltz Weber has a book called Shameless, where she talks about developing a new sexual ethic. I've read it. I don't agree with everything that's in that book. Just Mm -hmm. for those who are listening, if you want to check that Mm -hmm. out, it's Mm -hmm. an interesting, you know, discussion starter. Yeah. But I did speak to a pastor friend who was saying these issues of sexuality and sexual ethics, because they are changing, because especially right now it feels like everything is very fluid, this is why we need the church community. And and my pastor friend, she wasn't talking about an overarching the church in America or a specific denomination. She was talking about our individual congregations that function as this community of believers. We need to understand what we as a church community think of with regard to a sexual ethic we need to understand collectively what we define as this is something that will be a part of our communal life and this is something that we can't accept as a part of our communal life as disciples of christ Mm -hmm. what do you Mm -hmm. think about that yeah for me and i have not written the sexual ethic for any church okay just to be clear (laughs) just to clarify (laughs) i haven't tackled that one um but we'd mm-hmm. have to write it, we'd have to say it, we'd have to come to embrace it and believe it through the eyes and through the life of Christ. Yes. Because Christ is the core of our being uh, an ethical person. And so whatever I view, whether it's dealing with money or uh, violence or social justice, issue, myriad of social justice issues, or gender and sexuality, it has to be through the life of Christ. I think that not having the conversation, and let's let's clarify that, not having the multiple and varied conversations that, that are involved in issues of mm-hmm. human sexuality and gender, mm-hmm. it's damaging. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's just damaging to our children. I think it's damaging to our church. I think it's damaging to our witness in the world. Mm-hmm. 
I think about this book that I think you and I have both been reading lately called The Deeply Formed Life Yes, by a pastor named yes. Rich Velotis. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's talking about five transformative values mm-hmm. that root us in the way of Jesus. And he kind of echoes what I quoted earlier from Chelsea Yarborough about we are always being formed mm-hmm. and, we, and we need to be intentional about it. One of the chapters in his book is about sexuality mm. and how this is a this is a discipleship issue mm-hmm. and he kind of divides sexuality he talks about our sexual appetites into kind of three different analogies that are all analogies of food which i thought that was kind of <laughs> clever but he talks about the the first diet of sexual formation is the starvation diet mm-hmm. which is kind of these puritanical mm-hmm. things that you've been talking about that have been around since I mean, he quotes right, St. Augustine. Right, right. So they've been around for a very long time about you stay away from centuries. this. Yes. Centuries. Centuries. Since the earliest times of Christianity and how it's just, it's avoidance. You stay away from it. You repress it. You don't let yourself feel these feelings. Mm-hmm. But he says the second kind is what he calls the fast food diet, which is instead of repression, it's more about reduction. You <laughs> take everything sexual and you reduce it down to just the physical desires. Mm -hmm. So it's not Mm -hmm. about intimacy. It's not Mm -hmm. about commitment, Mm -hmm. faithfulness, anything else. It's just about what do you like? What feels good? What do you want to do? Go for it. Mm -hmm. And his point is that neither of those are really in line with this God who created our bodies and who created our sexuality and who, who had a different plan for this. Mm -hmm. And ultimately Rich Velotis says that it's really supposed to be more like a banquet, a feast that it's not just filling a physical desire. It's nourishing to our soul. It's nourishing to our, to our being. And when I think about these conversations, because the church is so uncomfortable with them, we don't talk about any of it in the, in the banquet form. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about it as if these are good things and they're they're more than just this or just that. And there's a deeper reason for them and there's a deeper meaning behind them. If we can switch our paradigm and switch our mindset to say, yeah, these are complicated issues, especially today. And they're not just easy and it's not going to be one simple, quick conversation. But when we look at this through the transformative work of Christ, we can find these good, flavorful, fulfilling things about gender and sexuality that maybe we've never thought about before. And we can come to a healthier place, not only in our personal lives, but as as Christian communities. Yeah. And none too soon, right? Absolutely. Used to, we would talk about the rate, the divorce rate of persons outside the church. Mm-hmm. Now, there is no difference in the divorce rate between people inside or outside the church. Mm-hmm. To me, that says the church is not doing something that we ought to be doing to help people with their marriages. I think if we could at least help people talk about one aspect of their marriage, their sexuality in their marriage, that surely to goodness that would be helpful in a marriage relationship. And we could change the the statistic of marriages that end, unfortunately. And I almost wonder if we, the church, have in some ways created 
that problem, Mm -hmm. created the fact that now there's no difference in divorce Mm -hmm. inside and outside. Because our unwillingness to discuss these things, even before kids get married, because we know sexuality, even if you are living this life of, I will not have sex until I am married, Mm -hmm. sexuality is bigger than just sex and just that act. Yes. Yes. And so if we're not having the conversations even before marriage, even before people become sexually active, we're still doing them a disservice. Mm -hmm. We are all sexual beings and we all have gender identity. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we we all have at least an element of knowledge and experience. I want to encourage the church to not be silent on this subject related to the subjects of sexuality and even gender. Mm -hmm. Let's not give away our voice on these very important human, created in the image of God, human uh, topics. Are there things that you're just wondering about? Connie and I would love to hear from you. Send us an email with your thoughts and we'd be happy to talk about it on the podcast. We're grateful to Charles Smith for helping us record these episodes and to Hook Sounds for allowing us to download this music titled Save the World.